music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Welcome to the Hivecast. It's Matt Pinfield, and I'm here with Brian and David Japan Joids. One of my favorite records of this past year is Celebration Rock. I love that record. And uh, I love the whole fact that I want to, first of all, welcome you guys, but that it's eight songs. You know, I think the people have overused the format of the fact that they can, you know, when CDs came out, they're like, well, we can fit 80 minutes, so let's put on 15 songs, and mm-hmm. things got lost. So I think the preciseness of a album that's 35 to 38 minutes, you know, 40 max and eight songs is is a really great way to focus in on, on that body of songs. Was that the same way you guys felt? There's a lot of, it's, it's not, it wasn't just the, the time, it's sort of like I purposely put in our, what you might call biography or whatever, the background story around this record that it wrote for it. Some examples of a couple records that were eight songs and a couple of records that were 35 minutes, sort of the exact length, to sort of showcase. I saw what you did. You said Zeppelin Four was one of the... Uh, Zeppelin Four is, I mean, yeah. eight songs. Yeah. Raw Power by the Stooges. Yeah. Eight songs. Born to Run. has got eight songs on it. Right. And then so, you I mean, mentioned replacements for 38 minutes. Like I think they, Let It Be. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and Pet Sounds. And Pet Sounds. 35 and did minutes you say long. Who's Next as well? Regardless, they were all great records. Yeah. yeah, just 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 sort of to like, you know, make the point that it's not about how long the record is or how many songs the record has on it. Because we like records like Pink Flag and Zen Arcade and Double Nickels on the Dime. And those like they have twenty yeah. they have twenty songs on those records. Yeah. So Minutemen and Husker so. do those two records on SST and then you, you what did you mention? Oh you mentioned Pink Wire Flag. Pink Flag. Yeah. So yeah. Chairs Missing, all the, you know, as you're going through those wire records. So it's not really about <laughs> how long the record is or how many songs it is. It's just it's kind of about the songs themselves. Tell me about you guys meeting in school. You met you met at, the, at college, right? Is that where you guys became? Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, we met in college at the University of Victoria, um, which is just a couple hours from Vancouver. A really good friend of both of ours, uh introduced us right at the start of college and there's a whole bunch of us that started going to a lot of shows and stuff and and watching a lot of bands coming through town and kind of started a band soon after that that's cool was there like a common thread like that that friend knew you like the same thing because i remember meeting a guy who had a buzzcocks button on and uh you know when years ago and joy division one and i was like oh, you know when i was a kid and it was the kind of thing we've been friends for life but was there a thing did he know that you guys had similar music interests and a little bit i mean he he grew up with Brian, and then he was just on the same floor as me in university. So I became friends with him, and then he introduced me to Brian. What was the first record bands. you guys bonded over? What was like? Was there something? What's the first thing? You, can you remember, Brian? What you guys talked about? First record that we bonded over. I mean, I think we we kind of like became friends around the same time that we started to become really interested in like the local music scene. So yeah. it was sort of like that was sort of I think the common thread between us. And our kind of friends around that time is we'd we'd been, you know, to like bigger concerts, you know, touring bands, that sort of thing. But it wasn't until we got to school that we became old enough to actually go to bars and see local bands play and realize that there was sort of a, a um, you know, I came from a smaller town where there was no local or live music scene. Like, so that didn't really exist. And, and the, the, the town that we, that we went to school in had a pretty fairly strong kind of local music scene. There were like a, a lot of really good bands from Victoria that used to play, you know, every weekend. And it became, it was sort of like, that's where we began to see that being in a band was actually sort of an attainable goal because they weren't mm-hmm. like rock stars and touring bands that you see on TV or you hear on the radio. They're just like people you would see around campus. And then all of a sudden you see them at the bar on Friday, 
you know, or something and they're, and they're playing shows. And so it became a little bit more of a, like, you know, the idea of just, they weren't that much different from us and they were kind of doing this thing. And so over the years of going to school, we bought a lot of records and we talked about music a lot and we used to go see a lot of shows. And then after a while, there reached a point of music fandom where actually playing in a band was the only thing you didn't do. So you bought records, you went to shows, you talked about music all the time. And so it was like kind of like the last piece of the puzzle in a way. And so you guys ended up deciding, were you already drumming at that point? I bought a drum kit while going to school because I wanted to start playing in bands. That's uh, cool. Brian, Brian had been playing guitar for a while, but basically once we started talking about being in bands and playing music... Um, that's when I got a drum kit, basically, because I wanted to play in bands. That's great. And did you find a sense of community with those bands in Victoria? That was a thing that was really motivational. You mentioned that. And are there any other bands from there now that you would recommend to anybody who's listening to us right now or myself? Sure. I mean, I think one of the bands we'd probably recommend above all is uh, a band called Frog Eyes. Yeah. That have been around for a long time. Yeah. Uh, we got to tour with them a couple years ago, and... Uh, you know, Carrie Mercer is still putting out records under Frog Eyes and under um, his kind of solo project, Blackout Beach, too. And, I mean, that guy is just an amazingly talented musician and songwriter. Frog Eyes was sort of one of the big guns of that sort of local music scene in, in Victoria. They were like, they kind of seemed like right on the cusp of being kind of like a real band, you know, like like kind of sort of famous and set, and yet still lived in town and you could still go see them play regularly. And mm -hmm. so... I don't know if you, you could hear an influence per se in, in our records from their records, but just as far as like being able to see someone who you could see around town, walking around on the street, seeing them perform the caliber that they were performing and writing the kind of songs they were was sort of a like, you wanted to be your own version of that. So how long after you guys were together did you actually put the money together to make that first EP? And how did that come about? Well, we met in 2000 and we didn't record that EP until 2006. So it was so, a while. So it was a while, yeah. I mean, it, uh, you know, we met in Victoria, and then a, a whole bunch of other stuff happened, and then we didn't actually start the band until until Brian moved to Vancouver, which was where I was already living. So, so it was a few few years later that we were basically back living in the same town as each other and could actually start making music together and stuff. And I had already started playing drums in a couple bands like locally in Vancouver and. He just moved to Vancouver, and then we started playing together then. So, While we were going to school, being in a band was something we talked about doing when we were finished school. It was like no one really played in bands while they were going to school. It was sort of like when we finished school. So you were concentrating on school. Yeah, right? it was like that was like... What I was mean, your degrees in, guys? What did you, what did you end up majoring in? Uh, I got a degree in anthropology. Cool. And yeah. I got a degree in earth and ocean science. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So it was like, the I mean, literally immediately after I graduated i moved to vancouver and that's kind of like when it was like okay now we're done now we can actually start trying to do something together and that's when we kind of started jamming together and that was in i guess 2005 mm -hmm. and then kind of started the band proper in 2006 because for a while we we knew that we wanted to play together but it had never occurred to us that we would just play i play guitar he played drums. Find a bass so, player, another Yeah, I was going to say, it's like there's the start of a, a band. And so it took, I took, I guess, a year of jamming and kind of trying to figure out exactly, you know, what we we're going to sound like and what, who was going to be in the band and blah, 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 before we settled on just the two of us. Did you try some people out and find that it didn't quite mesh in 
except for the fact that it was with you two guys, that it, it worked? Were you going through that kind of growing process? Very minimally. Yeah. I mean, we did, we had other friends who were playing in bands, and we did jam with friends, but we never really, it's not like we played shows or anything with anybody besides the two of us. It was always the two of us by the time we were playing shows and really writing songs and stuff. I don't think there was, of, of our other kind of friends that played in bands, I don't think there was anyone else who was kind of interested in making something that was sort of, for lack of a better word, kind of like as, as hard or as rocking or as punk or as energetic or kind of like as what we were kind of interested in doing. Like we had some really, really talented friends, but they were kind of more interested in making sort of pop music, you know, sort of like maybe more Beatles influence type of thing or, or something like that. And so no one else really, I think, was interested in kind of like... Distortion? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we're just like, yeah, like... Like yeah, and full being, on vocals too, like just yeah, just that like edge. kind of that. Like we were really into um, like a handful of records that we were kind of like using as the basis for what our band was going to be like. And of our friends, we were the only ones that were like really, really into those. And what was it, were those records? Like the uh, the, the Sonics. Sonics records. Yeah, yeah. Like when we started the band, that was like I don't necessarily know if we if we were sort of like we're going to sound like the sonics but, but it was like, like the edge the energy of things that yeah the the, the the kind of rawness of the recordings yeah. too like the yeah. kind of like live aspect of like the way those records sounded i mean it just sounds like there's a couple of guys in the room going for it like it's their last day on earth and the records sound like that like they're mm-hmm. they're yeah. insane they're really distorted they're really lively they're it's pretty funny that those records are you know coming out in 65 and 66 considering that that was around the time where you know, the really over-the-top studio production become started to become, like, a thing, you know, where things were, like, overwhelmingly produced for that time. Right, and then and there records... was the other side, which was the garage rock side, where mm-hmm. the music machine and the seeds and, and bands like that, I'm just using as an example, yeah, so this... were making these records count five, you know what I mean? Things that were really, and they were actually even hits, but they were recorded, they were, like, high school or just into college kids yeah, who were yeah. just knocking it out. Sonics, I mean, they were kind of doing punk rock before there was such a thing you know they're just like turning everything up to 10 in the studio and just going for it with a couple of microphones and that was the song and that appealed to us a lot like we were you know really taken with those records at the time and that was sort of like uh, for all of the music that we you know were sort of like stuff that he liked and stuff that I liked that didn't overlap we had a handful of records that that overlapped like immensely so Sonics was one what were some of the other ones uh, Constantine's were definitely yeah, yeah. a big one. Oh, I, I mean, that's yeah. that's yeah. both one of our favorite bands of all time. For yeah, us. and more people should know about them. By Agreed. The way. Yeah, Agreed. totally. They're such you a know? great band. Yeah, yeah. We were really into um, we were really into the first Yeah Yeah Yeahs record when it came out. Yeah. Fever to tell, like the sound of that record. Like, yeah, we were really just you know the sonically what Nick and they were doing. Yeah, it's just sonically yeah. that record. I mean, so. they I mean they never did anything like that again later. But that particular record at the time when we came out, we were sort of like, wow, like. We just loved the way that record sounded. Yeah. Um, well, it's... that was kind of the original setup we envisioned for the band too. Was having we wanted like a lead singer basically, and then and the two of you, kind of yeah, like, yeah. Us, so and that template. So, mm-hmm. so what were uh, you? I think you were going to mention at least one more. Uh, well, Brian. it's like, um, well, I mean, Pink Flag by Wire. Yeah, yeah we Wire that before, but I mean that yeah. record was huge at that time. When we 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 tried to learn every song on that record. From one to X, you back right and everything yeah. on there. We did a radio show back in two thousand seven or two thousand eight. Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven, where we came on and played 
all wire covers yeah, in the, the studio. Tried to play the whole record. I think we got about halfway through. Yeah, we got too drunk. Did you do any other singles <laughs> like Dot Dasher? Any of that stuff? Uh, or any of the other things that were on like Chairs Missing or the singles in between? No, I would have loved to have learned Map <laughs> Reference because that's like my favorite wire song. You know what's crazy? That's on 154, and that is one of the most beautifully layered songs. That chorus interrupted yeah. my train yeah. of thought lines of lunch. That's a, such so, an incredible tune. Yeah. And the guitar parts are very interesting. You know who covers that song on a Wire tribute album, My Bloody Valentine? Yeah, they do a great version yeah. of Kevin Shields and those guys. Yeah. I love that track. That's my favorite track on 154. Yeah, it's such a great song. And the other one, like I said, Dot Dash, that single that wasn't on an album. Is yeah, that's genius. right. That's not on anyone. It's just like, it's truly, it's truly, it's banging it out. It's like, you know, the attack on that track is so I feel so like bad. if you buy the reissue of Pink Flag, it yeah. might be on that now. I think Dot Dash is probably in the new uh, reissue. It's got to be some of the singles. Issues, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. With options are, because that was the other side of the song. Yeah. Great stuff. Lo- I love that. Uh, so... Those first two EPs. So, there, how much time was in between the first two? Was it, was it about a year? Was it six months? How, how long? Um, fall of two thousand six and May of two thousand seven. Yeah, so yeah. six months. Six months or so. Yeah. 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 Now, both of those. To go back to what we we're talking about before, both of those were recorded in a basement studio of one of the bands that were like one of our other musical heroes that we didn't talk about in Victoria at the time. This band who was also a duo called Run Chico Run yeah. and we used to go see them play all the time and they had their own studio in a basement which is exactly like what it sounds and both of those were actually recorded in that basement with those guys mm-hmm. and at the time to get in touch with them and be like hey we have our own band we want to record your studio was like it would have at the time was like you know walking into Steve Albini's studio or something and it yeah. was like it, it just seemed like it was like a they were almost sort of celebrities to us because in your scene the Victoria scene yeah there was like and and they're really really talented musicians songwriters, um, and and they know their way around a studio really well. So I think that that time with them, you know, getting to record with them um, for the, both those EPs was I think really important for the evolution of our band too. You know, I think they they had a lot of great ideas for us, and and we're just like you know just really generous and just really awesome people in general, and yeah, you know, great people to kind of bounce off of because you know we didn't know what the hell we're, we were doing. I mean, we barely know what we're doing now. You know, yeah. um, any back of then, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. <laughs> yeah. So it was great to have that time to kind of spend with those guys and, and get to kind of bounce ideas off them and have them, you know, guide us through the recording yeah. process. Yeah. As post-nothing, as people started to find out about the record, tell me about the, the period while you were doing that and playing. Were you guys, what were you guys doing as jobs? Did you ever try to apply your degrees to what you were doing? Were you just working at that point like a lot of people do to just maintain the band and, and, and focus on the songwriting and performing? What was that period like? I, from the day I graduated until the day I quit to go on tour on Post Nothing, I worked at the same company, at the same job for four years. Now, what did you do? I mean, it's it, like I worked in mineral exploration, like geology. So in other words, honestly, it, it did pertain to your degree. I mean, it was... Oh, yeah, it was uh, directly. I mean, that yeah. was the reason I moved to Vancouver is I, I got a job there right after I graduated. Yeah, so, that's brilliant. So, yeah... Um, and how about yourself, I, Dave? I was doing um, social work, working in like supportive housing projects in Vancouver. Yeah. So I had a lot more flexibility than Brian did, but basically until the record started to take off and all of a sudden we really had the chance to, you know, do like proper touring, like you know, touring all over. You guys did like 20 Canada. countries, didn't you? Uh, eventually, yeah. <laughs> you know. um, so as soon as we kind of got that, that opening, Brian had to quit his job because mm-hmm. up until then we basically could only tour, you know, 
just like locally on weekends and stuff like that and, and kind of driving distance yeah kind of like you know, yeah which calling, when you're from Vancouver from is gas stations yeah and stuff well I've like talked to your, to your fellow countrymen in the Arcade Fire they used to talk about how they would just kind of drive and they'd put a circle on the map and see how far they could go for a while and come back because and then sneak the rest of the people into the hotel room with a large, rather large band, which is a yeah. good thing with you guys with a duo. You yeah, don't have yeah, to go yeah. through Logistics that. are a little easier. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, but was yeah. there ever a period like there for a while? Were you blown away when all of a sudden things started to happen? Because there was a period for a while you were saying to yourselves, you know, I've read that you said, you were like, well, I don't know if anybody's really getting what we're doing or understands what our music's about. And, and, and then it just caught fire. There are people that are so passionate about what you guys are doing and what you guys have done. When did you see that change of pace? And, um. I think getting to do our first proper tour, which was in the summer of 2009, you know, I think that was uh, an incredibly eye-opening experience, you know, because um, it's one thing to see your band getting reviews on websites and things like that and getting written about, and it's another thing to actually see the success of your album, like, manifested in actually, like, people physically being at your shows. And um, not only that, but singing every word. Exactly, the yeah. Passion so, the so... That summer tour, and especially we played, we had one ridiculous weekend where we played uh, the Pitchfork Music Festival, and we also played Siren Festival here in New York on the same weekend, and that those two shows were the two biggest shows we'd ever played by far um, up until that point, point. there was just a pile of people there watching us play, and, and that was definitely one of the more surreal experiences of my life up to that point. Um, you know, you get you get used to crowds playing in front of you, but you you don't ever really get any less appreciative of it, or I don't at least. Oh, um, so it's always it's still I mean it's still pretty surreal, you know, and still really special to get to play in front of a whole group of people that are singing along all your words, all your songs. I think it's great. I mean, you come back to New York now and saw two nights at Webster, and you know, and just continue to play. Let's talk about Celebration Rock, uh, the title itself. From the <laughs> Tell me about where you came up with that. It's just one of those things that kind of, we had had two other records, one called No Singles, which is yeah. a collection of those EPs, and one that was called Post Nothing. And they both, both the titles of those records are kind of a bit tongue in cheek. Yeah. You know? And I think that that, they kind of reflect the records because there's some tongue in cheekness in those records. And on this new record, I didn't hear that same tongue-in-cheek qualities. Like, I didn't hear some of the the stuff I heard in those early records. It kind of had a little bit more... Um, it was just had a different kind of vibe about the record, and I didn't want to have another title that was sort of, like, sassy or kind of, like, sort of funny or yeah. tongue-in-cheek, like I like with those, with those other ones, even though we were kind of becoming known for that type of, I don't know, image kind of snide yeah like just kind of like that kind of like yeah whatever and so it actually was pretty difficult to think of something that was sort of kind of more serious or more sincere that actually fit with the the um, record and then when i actually thought about it just kind of came up with that kind of name because i was thinking about records like you know like combat rock by the clash yeah you know they play rock music yeah and you know they told you what kind of rock music they yeah. play, or at least what they think it is. And I thought about that concept of just sort of just telling people what it is. And, uh, you know, I think we play celebratory rock and roll music. I mean, that's what it is. It's pretty straightforward. So when the idea of, like, celebration rock just, like, kind of came in, I thought it can't 
possibly be called anything else now. That's just like yeah. the best name for it that that I could possibly think of. It came great, and it was the you know starting the album with those fireworks and the sound of firecrackers in the days of wine and roses. And I looked at that title, I thought Dream Syndicate, the classic alcoholic yeah. movie that was made about with Jack Lemmon back in like, I think maybe the fifties or early sixties. But what a great mm. uh, title to start the record. I just have to tell you guys something funny. I got the vinyl before I got the uh, CD of the record. Mm. And I put it on my turntable. And when I heard the fireworks, I thought my needle was getting messed up. And bouncing <laughs> on the thing. Because, you know, I've gone through a couple needles on yeah. there. So I thought it was like banging. I'm like, shit, I got to go replace that needle now. Cause, and then I realized, oh, wait a minute, that's fireworks. I like turned it over again and brought it on. What a great way to start the record, though. It's a great song. Tell me about the track. What, I mean, is there uh, any reference to either of those things, a movie or that? Well, the title of the song was sort of kind of like a reference to the Dream Syndicate song yeah. and that record because that was like, not that record in particular, but the Dream Syndicate. And especially their live record was like, if I think back to the year of writing Celebration Rock 2011, that was one of the records I listened to. Days of Wine and Roses? No, actually, like the, the live record. It's over. Oh, yeah, Com- yeah okay. Complete Live at Raji's, which yeah. is like, has a lot of songs <laughs> from that. Yeah. Live renditions. It's Halloween on there too. I mean, uh, yep. There's like yeah, probably got to be like, I don't know, it's like great stuff. Songs and and I felt that that record is is uh, is sort of like a Dream Syndicate best of, but the versions on that record I feel are superior to all of the recorded stuff. It's just like they're kind of on fire that night, and it's a great recording, and they're just kind of pushing the songs even farther than they did in the studio. And uh, I just love that record so much. And given how of a fan i am of, of records that have that kind of like live sounding that like really raw kind of like just yeah, that that particular sound um I, you know i could just always thinking about that record when we're making our own record and i thought a lot about their song you know knights of wine and roses and what it's about and, and how it goes and it gave me the idea because that song i think is is loosely based on the on the book and yeah and on the movie like, which became the movie, it's yeah. sort of influenced by that and then our song is more influenced by their song it's kind of like one degree of separation from like the original you know book and movie and it sort of just it gave me the idea to turn to kind of look at the other side of the coin in a way like just to flip the the idea because they're you know they're all they're focused on that sort of like you know alcoholism as as like the downfall of man sort of thing and i had the idea of sort of like looking at it from just slightly different perspective and so switch the name to days of uh, from nights to, yeah. to, to, to days of wine and roses to nights of wine and roses and then the song kind of came from yeah. that idea. So yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, last time we were in New York, uh, I'd been talking about the Dream Syndicate record a lot in interviews, things like that. And uh, just before we played New York last time, uh, Steve Wynn from Dream Syndicate yeah. got in touch and ended up coming down to our show at Music Hall of Williamsburg, and and came back to say hi to us before the show and brought us some records and was just like an extremely nice. He is and, a sweetheart. He's a really yeah, nice and, uh, really nice. Yeah, guy. it was great. It was saw really so great to meet him. So many times in Jersey at, the, at Maxwell's in Hoboken, like going through the eighties, and you know, just yeah. so many other shows. And he's just really approachable. Yeah, really s- sweet guy. We'll talk to you about his music, and then you know, pretty much anything, which is very cool. Now, speaking of lineage and how things are connected song wise, you guys covered for the love of Ivy on the record, mm-hmm. which is great Gun Club song, and then that was Jeffrey Lee Pearson and the band's really his nod to the Cramps because he loved mm-hmm. Ivy and. Lux and uh, co-written with Kid Congo Powers. Yeah, later play in the Cramps. Right, exactly. You did it later on, which was amazing. So they, it all came full circle. Is that album by the Gun Club Fire of Love a big favorite of yours? And what do you think about that record? Let me take it. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's it's a really important record for both of us. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just great songwriting and, you know, the performances on it are, are, are so strong. I mean, Jeffrey Lee Pierce is just, I mean, just such a great front man, you know? I mean, there's some of the stuff. Um, he lives Some it, of the man. lines, yes, and just the emotion he can put into the way he sings. It's just something else. Yeah, I mean, that whole record, like Wreck on the Highway. She's like heroin to me. All the songs I love, you know, it's such a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you a story that's really interesting. You guys are going to kick off. Do you know that, like, in the early days when he was forming a, the gun club, he was like a huge Blondie fan. And was yeah. he president of the fan club? Yes, he was yeah, president yeah, of the fan club. Yeah. Do you know the story that he gave them, the nerves, the original version of hanging on the telephone on a cassette to take with them, and they took it, and then they flew to Japan, and they were playing it in a limo, and they go, this song's amazing, before they recorded Parallel Lines, and Jeffrey Lee Pierce turned them on to that Nerves indie power pop single, mm. and they did Hang on a Telephone because of Jeffrey. Mm. Whoa. That, cool? that is a good story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool stuff, huh. you know? Yeah, I'm just sad. I, I miss Jeffrey Lee. I wish he had lived. I mean, he lived those tracks and, and the lifestyle to the end. Mm. And speaking of alcoholism, and it's it's the thing that took him out, really. But he made great records Miami. All those, those are just... Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that EP the, with a lie on it and all that stuff was so... Uh, yeah, Death Party. Yeah, Death Party yeah, EP it's I a, love. <laughs> it's like a common, but nevertheless tragic story in the sense that like, you know, I don't know how you would m- create that music if you didn't in fact live it. Yeah. Then at the same time, by living it, you know, he's just taken away from the world of music and while well, the world, I guess, as in general, you know, much sooner than, uh, than he should have been. It, it is completely visceral from the heart and everything about mm. lyrically to the performances, you know. There's really nothing held back. I, I, those are those are great records, mm. and we miss miss Jeffrey Lee Pierce and those great records. Yeah, they're doing a lot of. Um, I don't know if you've heard these. There's a there's a second one that's about to come out, but they're doing tribute records where artists like uh, Debbie Harry and Nick Cave and Mark Lanigan and the Sadies. They're yeah, they're my actually, friend. I think my friend is actually. One of the guys who puts them together. He's also involved with the Hoodoo Gurus. He goes to Australia, but he's from Jersey. But they're like finishing know? off. Mm. Yeah. They're finishing <laughs> off the songs that like he had like partially written. Oh, the ones that were like on those tapes. Yeah, right? and yeah. like and like they, you know, they'd found <laughs> lyrics that he'd done and so they're putting music and notebooks and, and stuff he collected. Yeah, and yeah. trying to like finish off some of his ideas and and um yeah, they're they're great too. They're like uh, pretty high caliber yeah. artists, you know, reinterpreting. Paying tribute, yeah. Which is- it's such a cool thing. I think it's great. Now, you, you know, with the house that I haven't built, here in America, it started getting airplay for you guys, even on commercial stations, which, you know, not that you necessarily needed that, but, I mean, it's a great thing to see, and the more people it reaches, the better, in my opinion. But what I have to ask you, being Canadian artists, this can, you know, CanCon or Canadian content, has that helped you guys out? Has there been, have they been playing you guys on the radio back in uh, Canada? Are you getting the love that you no deserve idea. there? It's hard you to know. know. I mean, <laughs> because you don't listen, because you don't want to hear the other shit, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how Canadian content plays into it, but I, I think certainly we've we've gotten a lot of love in Canada. I mean, we're kind of a funny band in the sense that um, the majority of Canadian bands are usually far more successful in Canada than they are in the U.S. Whereas I think for us, it's kind of the flip. Um, like tragically hit Matthew Goodband, yeah, exactly. yeah, Spirit of, of the West, wow, of course. Yeah. Matthew Goodband, yeah, that's, yeah. that's obscure. Yeah. Canadian trip, Spirit of the West there. too. I mean, I don't yeah. remember them too. Um, uh, but I'm just saying, yeah, you did. So. Yeah, so so you know, I think you know all those bands you mentioned. They're playing to thousands and thousands of people in Canada, and then they'll play to like a couple hundred in the states. So uh, for us, we've actually spent so much more time touring in the U.S. than in Canada. So 
you know, in some ways we don't feel like that much of a Canadian band. Um, but yeah, I think we, we certainly get a lot of love when we play in Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver. And we're going to be playing a bunch more shows across Canada at the end of this tour. So I guess we'll just, we'll see. We'll see whether or not yeah. the Canadian content laws have, have paid off for us yeah, over there. You know, well, I mean, I just think it's just because the record's great that he would play it. But uh, I yeah, wonder hopefully how that's the reason why. You yeah. know, because uh, I do, I, I do think that's kind of a cool thing, though, that it at least tries to support local artists. And I know there's some money put into the arts mm-hmm. there, which I think is a good thing, rather mm-hmm. than trying to take it away from the arts, which yeah. you know, yeah. which is uh, not a good thing. Yeah, and we've definitely benefited from that. I mean, we've gotten grants to do some of our tours overseas and in Europe and stuff. Oh, that's before, that's so. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty. We're very lucky, you know. Who are some of your favorite artists to tour with? I mean, you've toured with a ton of people. You've toured twenty countries. Anybody who like you toured with took you under under their wing? And- you know, I think I think a really important tour for us was when we toured. Um, we did a tour of the UK and Ireland in the fall of two thousand and nine, uh, supporting a place to bury strangers. And, oh, cool. Uh, that was pretty early in our touring days, and. Uh, and also, we were, you know, we were getting to tour with a band that kind of had been around the block a little longer than us, and had been playing in bands for a long time and stuff. Uh, and we're also just all, you know, incredibly nice people who are just fun to hang out with every night. You know, I think that was a really important tour for us, and we're still friends with those guys to this day. You know, um, we learned a lot about how how to be a band. Yeah, how you like they were kind of like, you know, the next step up from where we were. So every yeah. night we could kind of watch how they would do it. You how they handle the yeah. live thing, organization, setting up, dealing with the venues, all that kind of all, stuff. All yeah, just the little things like how they how they used to set their stuff up, and you know how they used to come on, and how they used to, you know, just like all the kind of little details about like, oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it worked out well. That's great. You guys, of course, are still friends. Yeah. Now, the fo- when when can we expect? I mean, obviously, the new record's still doing great. It's one of the best records of the year. When will the follow up to Celebration Rock? When do you expect to record that? I know you guys are constantly working on stuff. How many songs do you have yourself in the can right now? I mean, you have to remember that we didn't even decide to make Celebration Rock. You thought it was over, didn't you? I mean, yeah, I mean, point, well, we just kind of like, we were... You weren't going to make a second record, right? Or, we weren't planning on it. No. Yeah. And so. then all of a sudden people fell in love with the band. It's like that thing in life where you just don't know what's around the corner. It's a pretty mm. incredible thing, and I think mm. it's great. When we were touring on post we were so focused on the tour that... It wasn't until the touring was actually all done that we sort of actually made a decision consciously. It's like, okay, let's do another record. And like then we started working on it. It wasn't like you were working on that the whole time you were touring. And then all of a sudden, you know, as soon as touring was done, you could go in and bang on another record. It was like, okay, now we need to start working on a record. So that's more or less how we've approached, you know, doing this the same way because it seemed to work pretty well for us. That We take touring pretty seriously and we do a lot of it and that pretty much occupies almost all of every waking hour that you're actually time and focus right yeah so to put on good shows and to get better and to, um, you're focusing on that you're not like hey well here i'm going to work on this song now and then exactly you know so i think it's one of those things that when touring for this record begins to slow down then it will be time to have that same conversation that we had you know yeah at the end of post learning cycle yeah well we're excited about it but i'm really happy to see more and more people are finding out about this record. And, uh, you know, people miss that energy, that kind of energy in that show. So it's, you know, it's that full-on thing, which which we really love. So I want to thank you guys for coming by. It was great to have you here. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Thanks for coming fun. in. It was a lot of fun to hang out with you guys and talk music with you. 
It's Brian and Dave, Japan Droids, right here on the Hivecast. This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.